What is that little extra thing that makes the ordinary extraordinary? I believe it is the presence of God. At Christmas, God came into our ordinary world in the form of a child. In this season of hope and anticipation, as we eagerly await Christ's birth and Christ's return, God is still at work in and through the ordinary stuff of life. This Advent season at Second Presbyterian, we will begin a sermon series titled Advent in Plain Sight. Roughly based on a devotional written by Jill Duffield, we will connect everyday objects with the biblical text and find holy meaning and holy moments. We hope this Advent season will be an extraordinary one that allows us all to see God in and through ordinary things. Let us join our hearts together again in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Richard Rohr claims that there are three experiences in this life that really change a person. A great love, a mystical vision, and great suffering. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, Jacob experiences all three. Today with our reading, we get a glimpse into his mystical vision. Jacob has just stolen his older twin brother Esau's birthright. He's received the blessing of their father and set out on a journey. A journey both to flee his furious brother and to return to the land of his mother to find a wife. Reading from Genesis 28, found on pages 21 and 22 of your Pew Bible, beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Our second reading comes from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew and is found on page 800 of your Pew Bible. Jesus is speaking with his disciples describing the second coming. 
Hear these words from Matthew 24, verses 29 through 35. Jesus said, Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near, at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What if... God can drop a ladder absolutely anywhere. Yesterday, Chris, Eleanor, our dog Scout, and I drove back from our Thanksgiving trip to see my family in South Carolina. It was getting close to supper time as we were pulling off the interstate, and Chris and I were talking about what kind of leftovers we could scrounge up for dinner. As we were lost in our mundane meal planning, Eleanor spoke up from the back seat, rather matter-of-factly. God is following us, she said. God is always following me, she explained, because God made me. Absolutely, sweet girl, we said. God made you, and God is always with you. What is it about growing up that makes us forget that truth? What is it? about the hustle and bustle of life that crowds out our thinking and our awareness of the holy. What if God can drop a ladder absolutely anywhere? In Genesis, we encounter Jacob on the way. He is on the run because of a blessing. He has had to flee the only home he has ever known because he has taken what was rightfully his brother Esau's. Jacob was never his father's favorite, and now he has had to leave forever the mother who favored him. When Jacob makes camp for the night, he is utterly alone in the world. He's lost family, community, and all the grounding symbols of his identity. He got what he wanted from his father, and it immediately cost him everything. Jacob is in the wilderness. He finds himself alone, divorced from all the steadying sources of security. He falls asleep with nothing to his name but an empty blessing and a stone for a pillow. In the vulnerability of sleep, the dream finds him. It is vivid a ladder set up on earth with the top of it reaching all the way to heaven, and the angels of God ascending and descending up and down, up and down, from heaven to earth and back again, 
in an instant. God is there beside Jacob without a single trumpet sound of warning, promising Jacob all he could ever hope for, safety, children, land. Remember, I am with you, God says. I will not leave you. Jacob woke while God's breath was still stirring the air, although he saw nothing out of the ordinary around him. There was the same wilderness, the same rocks, the same land. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it, Jacob exclaims. Along the British Isles, there are certain sites that locals call thin places. These are places where it is believed the distance between heaven and earth shrink, and the veil between those two worlds is so thin you can actually sense or perceive something of heaven itself. These places were often found where water met the land, by fjords and rivers, by wells where water bubbled up from deep below, and by doorways, the meeting places from the outside to the inside. These thin places spoke of meeting and transitions from one state to another. When Christianity spread to the British Isles, Celtic Christians preserved this understanding and built monasteries and cemeteries along many of these sites. People who visit these places today sometimes say they know deep down they are on holy ground. What if God can drop a ladder between heaven and earth absolutely anywhere? It took a while for the disciples to realize who Jesus really was. It was Peter who first voiced the revelation, but even for him, it took time. According to the Gospels, these men traveled with Jesus from village to village. They heard him preach and teach, watched him heal and sow compassion. Even with these signs, it wasn't always fully clear to them. When Jesus spoke of the Son of Man and signs and symbols, it must have seemed strange to his friends. Was he speaking of some future revolution? Or the Messiah? Could he be pointing towards some imminent apocalypse? Jesus' words in Matthew sound strange to us, even a little out of place. But he is sharing with his disciples a promise, a promise that no matter what, God will be with them. God has not forgotten them. New Testament scholar Marcus Borg suggests that Jesus himself is our thin place. He's the one who opens the barrier and shows us the God we long for. There in Jerusalem, right among the twelve, God drops a ladder down. The divine walks and talks among them. Some 800 years ago, Francis of Assisi was quite concerned about what people had come to believe. They believed in a kind of sky god who was far away from them and who sat in judgment of them. There wasn't an easy way to be in touch with that kind of god, and to the average person, god seemed distant and uninvolved in their daily comings and goings. Francis was trying to explain to the people that god was not some distant being in the sky but that God was here with God's creation, with God's people. To help make that image more real, 
Tradition tells us that Francis created the first creche, the first manger scene. It collected figures, sheep, cows, donkeys, and he found little statues or made little statues of a baby in a manger, of Mary and Joseph, maybe some shepherds, maybe some kings. And he placed all these figures among a simple shed with simple hay scattered around. Francis did all of this to teach people that God is here, that God is not that distant sky God up in the heavens, far away from us, judging us, but that God is living with us, abiding with us. Earlier this week, I was talking with my physician about her Thanksgiving plans. My doctor shared that she was making two Thanksgiving meals on Thursday. Impressed, I asked whether she were really hosting that many people in her home to have to prepare the meal twice, all the shopping, all the baking, all the basting. My doctor shared that she was making the second meal for her dear friend and neighbor who just returned from a hospital stay. In her early 40s, this friend had an aneurysm that nearly took her life a few weeks ago. She spent many days in the hospital and at various points was not expected to live. She returned home last weekend, and even now she's on dialysis for what may be her whole future. It's a miracle she survived, my doctor explained. And you know the most amazing part, she went on, The most amazing part is that when my friend's husband told her how frightened we all were, how much pain she appeared to be in, my friend told me that all she remembers was the feeling of being held. She felt God's arms around her. I know you believe this, Elizabeth. God was with her the whole time. That was the miracle. Her experience of the holy breaking in isn't always so dramatic as Jacob's mystical vision or Jesus' apocalyptic words to his disciples. Sometimes it's a real sense of God's presence. Sometimes it's the beauty of that moment of placing a manger scene and remembering that God came down. Sometimes it's as simple as a friend telling us that they will hold hope for us when we can't seem to find it for ourselves. Sometimes it's as simple as a word of blessing, a promise of love, the relief of forgiveness, the words of a child. Falling asleep on a stone, Jacob encounters God in the wilderness in an unexpected gate of heaven. He discovers that God is in the place and he didn't even know it. God can absolutely drop a ladder down anywhere. Today is the first Sunday of Advent and the beginning of the new year for Christians. What we do on this day is hope. We hope for something that is promised and anticipated, but not yet fully realized. During the first Advent, as Mary became aware of the life growing inside her, hope grew. God grew, unseen, yet present. Today we wait at the gate with hope 
once more. We stand in the thin place of Advent, in the midst of the uncertainty of life, in the anticipation of what awaits our world. We hope for what we do not have, trusting that God's promises will come. We must pay attention to the signs. Pay attention to the signs of hope around us. May we remain open. May we stand in hope in this liminal space, at this threshold, at the gate. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.